You come to your senses with the heaviness of spirit that often occurs when emerging from a series of dreams. Immaterial though it is, you feel the sensation of your imaginary head coming unstuck from the ground, parting with a pull as though you'd laid down to sleep on a bed of honey. It is in a field, tufty and uneven with a variety of grasses and wildflowers that you find yourself, the sky above you a soft blue. Cloudless, the air carries instead the intensity of midsummer sunlight, and a sense of the mid-afternoon lethargy that so often leads to naps taken at the foot of a tree. The stillness, like the forest tree line, hems you in at all sides, but from a distance. Before you is a hill, or a mountain. Perspective can be strange that way in that it is both. You haven't the faintest idea of where you are in the grand scheme of things. Rushing. That is the collective sound that the flowers and grasses make where they are rooted to the earth, the wind breathing them into unified disarray. And you are an invisible tower, unbowed by the wind, by anything. An off-duty lighthouse for ants and mice. A clear day like this one has no need for your services, gives you leave to leave your post, and so there is no reason to stay still, no reason at all to rein in curiosity or wanderlust. So you don't. In the sky, a bird swoops down from the mountain hill, then another too. They circle back to disappear. Mountains have a sense of gravity found in few other terrestrial places, and this one is no different, a gargantuan breadcrumb sopping up your field of vision, drawing you in breath by breath. To your left, far in the distance, a deer suddenly steps out of the mountain's forest, freezes under your gaze, its foreleg curled in midair. Then the spell is broken, and it presses forward into the meadow, sunlight glinting off its tawny coat. That is a person, you realize, a soul like you, one who chose to move through this realm on four legs. Suddenly, you wonder why. Has this soul always existed in that shape? Or did they choose to be a deer, even after having experienced humanity? If all you'd ever been was human, then it would seem better, more evolved, by default. What wisdom might have been clouded by thoughts steeped in such exceptionalism? What have they come to understand that you have yet to? Is it something that they could convey to you in any way? The inscrutable soul continues to cross the meadow, and you have no answer, none at all. You feel it go, melt serene into the landscape, and there is a beauty in all that remains unknown. You pack away your lingering questions with an odd measure of peace, as though you are folding up an easel, stowing paints and brushes in your imaginary satchel. Your meandering thoughts carry you in the direction opposite the deer, toward the foot of the mountain hill. The grass turns patchy after a time, smooth stones of all shapes and colors lying on the edge of the meadow, as if they'd been dropped carelessly an age ago. The further you advance, the more densely packed the stones become until you reach the edge of the mountain forest, and the grass has been overtaken entirely. The stones form a road, a wide one, that curves off into the trees mossier the further under the tree cover you go. You have no map, 
nothing with which to situate or orient yourself, and so you take the road, choose it like a second-hand book with a handwritten dedication in it, the ink scrawls so faded you can't make sense of it. The wind brushes through the path, whispers off into the trees, and it is like being in a different world entirely, the sky now no more than a little puddle at your back, shrinking into nothing once you have rounded the first bend. You would do just as well to get lost in a metropolis as in a forest. Human design, human architecture has a strange way of growing wild the larger it gets, its forgotten pockets filling with frights and fascinations, love letters hidden in alleyways, backroom jackrabbits and giraffes, conversations in cupped hands spilling over into the streets becoming ripples in runoff. Look for the pulse of any city in those points. A forest's character, meanwhile, is divined through traces, seasons of growth, its streets and alleys far less visible, requiring a different sort of compass to navigate. Fortunately, you are being guided through the undergrowth by a would-be Gretel, giant weathered pebbles they had long ago dropped, bobbing in and out of the moss to mark the way forward. A path maintained at the whims of tree roots, apt to tuck them under moss or into the soil if a few too many souls come wandering through. You make no sound, but other creatures do, all the while remaining unseen. That, at least, you share in common. This. You might have come to think the cave mouth were unnatural, were it not for the stone road under your imaginary feet, were it not for the way the tunnel beyond stretches out pin straight, its walls eerily smooth. The surrounding area is still. Something about it unnerves you, all the while enticing you. The stillness follows you into the cave, the quiet deepening the further you go. If there had been any sense of time before, it receded with the last of the light. You could have pushed forward until dusk or carried on through a cycle of ten dawns and noticed neither. The smell of earth and foliage gives way to dust rock, the faint tang of metal. And then something else. A whisper at first. But they become innumerable, sweeping toward through past you not so much voices as a cacophony of seemingly intelligible sounds that you nevertheless cannot actually understand. You think to yourself that it might be music, but only because you know no other word that could come close to defining it. These are sonorant strata, not loud but thick, a collection of fossils you can only perceive by sound and feel, the afterimage of countless symphonies superimposed and playing all at once. The gust of maybe music is so faint, it only nibbles at your consciousness, trying to catch the hem of your nothing clothing as it slips through its nothing fingers. You feel it swell through you, flow through the spaces between each of your atoms until the whole of you is ringing, pulsing, expanding, and then rush out the way you came, elated, terrified, elated, back to the still forest, back down the stone path, back toward the open meadow, which seems so much like a bright picture window beyond the tree line when you round the bend that you wonder if you might be looking through a porthole into another dimension. But it is nothing more than a simple break in the trees, and you are back into the breeze, the open chatter of the mountainside reaching out for you like a tether to reality, the blanket of sound both earthly and familiar. Here you stop and listen. 
Hear the faint notes of water flowing nearby, and it is the work of a minute to find its source tucked into the tall grasses. You follow the brook, mesmerized by the way it swells and ribbons over rocks, glaring with salaquum, glinting with it. It winds its way through the meadow and takes you to the other side of the forest, where it disappears past the tree line and into the dim quiet. There is no path this time, just the brook, flowing under overgrown bushes through the roots of ancient trees curving up and out of the ground. The thick, dark green canopy overhead soon gives way to bare limbs and a sky washed out by the sudden, thick snowflakes falling from it. You round the trunk of one of the largest trees you've ever seen, and your field of vision tilts, shifts, goes strange. On the other side of the trunk, the snow has stopped falling, and the earth is damp with melting snow, the brook becoming briefly a creek and then turning back into itself again, most branches and bushes dotted with budding leaves. They grow rapidly as you push forward, shaking and shivering in the haste of their own development, bursting and unfurling with the will to live, grow, thrive— you hear the far-off hoot of a great horned owl, or was it just a breeze sweeping between the trunks of ancient trees? Then, before you know it, the canopy is full again, forest floor carpeted with the blooms of late spring. It is daytime with an air of midnight. But all too soon these flowers fall away under the gregarious weight of the heat of a summer at its crest. This, while shafts of night-sky sun lancing soft to the earth pin a carpet of moss in place all over, as if it were an insect in a shadow box, a shrine to a singular moment in time. You move through this natural shifting chef-d'oeuvre, still in sight of the brook which has changed shape and size so many times over the course of this year of an afternoon that you idly wonder if it is still the same body you started with. Of course it isn't. Of course it is. The light has faded entirely by the time you are done with drifting through the circuitous rhetoric of the seasons, and this is where you reach at last the source of the long-running body of water, a pond, a dead end teeming with life. On the other side of it, through some tall reeds, you notice a pair of familiar eyes gleaming as they gaze out at you. It is Fox, whose expression changes with the minute shift in light that comes from being noticed. From its huff of an exhale disturbing the aquatic thicket it has secreted itself into. This the barest of your attention is invitation enough, it seems, because in a sudden bound, foxes standing paws submerged in the shallows before the reeds. The sound of the four small splashes and the rustle of the grasses come to you as if in afterthought, and then it is the radiating ripples of water over the pond that command your attention. These wave patterns multiply and become more convoluted as Fox pads out of the shallows and up onto the shore, rounding the pond toward you, and then the water stills once more. You are, as ever, transfixed. Then Fox starts, eyes flashing, takes a deliberate step. A strange hum fills the air, and your attention is drawn over to the glassy surface of the pond, which shifts and shivers as drops of rain begin falling into it, the air around you shimmering with the murmur-like downpour. Fox taking another step pulls your attention back to center, but all you get is an impression of its silhouette before Fox sublimates into smoke, curling outward as if having been struck by a colossal droplet of water. 
You look on astonished as the smoke seems to recover, shifting again and coalescing until it has regained opacity and some semblance of form. It stands mysteriously upright. The rain, falling harder, causes the opaque figure to spatter in places where the droplets land, until it is covered in a shroud of living watercolor. There comes a stronger hum, a pressure almost, as if something has moved past you into the trees. You realize it has. Where it had just a moment earlier been behind you on the bank, the figure you think of as Fox is now looking over its shoulder at you from up ahead. It allows you only the barest glimpse at its form before it slips away into a thicket, the rain falling with greater insistence. You follow, outpacing the pall of your disbelief as you dive into the wood. Above, the downpour is cushioned by the treetops, trickling over leaves and down through gaps between the crowns onto the forest floor. The path before you has been darkened by the falling rain and is getting ever darker with every cloud that rolls in overhead. There is no sense of urgency in your pursuit, just a steady forward movement, Fox's watercolor presence blooming eerily, beautifully between tree trunks and nearby foliage, an otherworldly guide in the gathering dark. You get the sense, as you weave your way through the brush, that you are crossing a very wide yet shallow depression in the earth, one where a great body of water may once have flowed. The forest has long since reclaimed the soil, though, filled it with the unfurled leaves of plants and colonies of fungus, a canopy to hide the burrows of little animals from view. It teems with a different sort of vitality, a slower, more deliberate momentum. Though, at the moment, everything shivers and dances with wild abandon in the rain. The quiet rush of water droplets is all you can hear as you reach a break in the trees, the clearing you suddenly find yourself in, one of many that you have happened upon over the course of the day. But this one is actually familiar. In the middle distance, the door to Witch's cottage opens, and she steps out onto the porch in silent invitation. You know better than to think this is coincidence. She doesn't seem at all surprised by the sight of the tall figure shrouded in watercolor, steps further aside in welcome. You have the dizzying sensation that accompanies feeling off-balance or being turned upside down, and then the figure is suddenly at the cottage doorway, as if some part of the moment had been cut right out from under your imaginary nose, seconds spliced back together just in time for you to witness the tail end of a tendril of watercolor sluice around the corner of the doorway and out of sight. The grasses blur with the direct intensity of the rainfall, cottage shimmering within it. It's the sort of rain that comes right at the end of summer, just shy of cold, the kind that turns folks indoors for a hot drink, and the book they've set aside more times than they'd care to admit, the kind that turns a static window scene into a spectacle, the sky splits, rumbles in a roar so guttural you feel it wild all over. It is, you are... And in that soul-deep sound you share a colon, and then a period, the kind that palms the antenna of an exclamation with the silky fervor of its bare fingers interlacing in prayer. Here the galvanized comet tail comes for you, arcing into a question, and with such divine enquiry makes of any answer a superfluous offering. Oh, that does it. You are startled to a stop the rain falling through you, all around you, cooling off the last of the ever-afternoon warmth. 
and in the space between the next arcing fork of lightning, it is upon witch's crooked finger that the biggest wisp of your attention snags, beckoning you inside with a heavy sense of deja vu. You feel this passing hastily through the doorway, but the scene that greets you is nothing if not wholly new. In the grate is a roaring fire, before which is a human figure around whose feet has gathered a modest ring of drip water, the rain still running in rivulets from the crown of their bowed head to the tips of their toes. The flow of the water has a generative intent to it, forming long strands of translucent hair, then revealing fingers, the curves of a torso, limbs, toes. Their skin looks almost glassy, you think, but the illusion dissipates before you can consider it further, and they are simply human, the tone of their skin shifting with every movement of the flames in the grate. The glass must have been your imagination or a trick of the firelight, a superimposed memory of the rippling pond water where you met. They seem to pluck at something invisible in the air, and the atmosphere around them condenses with a strange thrum into smoke, collapses into fabric that settles over their body like a cloak or a robe. The material is a translucent black, but it is a composition of so many paper-thin layers that there is only a hint of the human figure underneath. Their limbs, their torso are at once hidden, at once visible, the material seeming to pass through their flesh and yet be apart from it. The incongruent sight dazes you for its strange nature, for how serenely it defies the laws of physics. This person's eyes are warm, though otherwise inscrutable when your gaze catches theirs. Your modest observation causes their hands to move again, this time before their light-drenched face. Well met, Aura. Your mere presence to us is a grace. They don't voice their greeting, no, instead its prosody comes from the movement of their body, an intelligible stirring of the air. We have not felt a rain so profound, since last a lost soul searching for safe harbor came. You understand the flowing of this grammar as readily as you do the one that witch verbalizes, the way each morpheme intertwines with the next, and so there is a question, one of many, that you would ask if you knew how. Is this fox? Witch startles you by supplying one such question with a level sort of mirth, joining you both before the hearth, an answer in tow. Oh, yes. And also, no. <laughs> Fox Not Fox takes this as a cue to paint the air with further explanation. My name is Multitudinous, though you do know me the way a drop of rain knows an ocean, at once acquaintance, at once familiar. Light from the fire drapes over the floor, up the walls in a flickering canvas that varnishes the wooden bones of the room with an orange glow. Fox not fox casts no shadow, but witch does. It dances beneath her as she signs in time with each phrase that she speaks aloud. Spirit, I have long called my fellow entity. We have known one another always, yet also we met for the first time at a banquet long ago, and... Which stops herself with a soft huff of amusement. <laughs> that is a story for another time. Silently, the so-named spirit adds, I would be glad to relive it from your perspective. She touches the shoulder of spirit lightly, gives them a look, 
and as she does, her fingers phase through the fabric to the flesh beneath, as though the layered cloth were just smoke or a hologram. Which slides her fingers along her fellow entity's shoulders until they brush up against the nape of their neck, then tilts her head slightly, eyes softening as she pulls her hand away. You are certain that the significance of the gesture was not lost on spirit, but her reply, like every other minutely mysterious interaction between them, is in a shared language that you cannot actually understand. Her expression shifts and tears well in her eyes to roll down the apples of her cheeks. With each blink, her irises and pupils fade until they disappear entirely. Spirit takes both of witch's cheeks in the palms of their hands, gently wiping away the glistening tear tracks with their thumbs, and leans forward to press a kiss to her forehead. Witch closes her eyes and lets out a breath in a shiver, the tears finally seeming to stop as her body relaxes. You catch a glimpse of spirits' hands when they pull away, are astonished at the way they are smeared with a prismatic substance that casts pinpricks of color all over the room when the firelight catches it for a split second. But then spirit presses their hands together in front of their lap, and you wonder at just what it was that you might have been witness to. Which opens her bare eyes, places a hand over the center of Spirit's chest, and then takes her leave with a fond smile, heading gingerly for the doorway to an adjoining room. They watch over her retreating form until she has vanished into the dark of the unknown. Spirit signs a solemn pronouncement in the witch's wake. So passes Monarch into another era. Light from the flames playing over spirits' hands makes their wording even more mesmerizing, as if you are experiencing two conversations superimposed, as if spirit is conversing with both you and the fire at the same time. But just what would a fire have to say? Spirit draws your attention back from the heart of the hearth with a wave of their fingertips, then starts again, emotions playing in tandem with their signed words through the expressions flitting over their face. A fox does not need to explain its existence to others. It takes in the breadth and terrible beauty of being, feels it wholly ever-present. That is a life well-lived. Spirit gives you a weighty look. See, a fox body will wither and decay, but a spirit is evergreen. A log shifts in the ash and embers, sending a small spray of sparks up into the chimney with a crack. Some of the bark has sectioned and peeled with the heat, been parched white by the flames. The carvings that adorn the stone hearth framing the fire flicker almost lifelike in the shifting light. Along the uneven floor, the puddle of rain at Spirit's feet is stopped expanding outward, beginning instead to snake toward the fire. It loses volume with each floorboard that it passes over, its tail end coming to a stop to dry out just before it touches the stone bed of the fireplace. The smell of the wood smoke makes you feel calm and centered, but Pepper startles you when she bounds out of the left side of the milky black shadow ringing the fire's outpouring radius of light. She looks your way, eyes glinting, and then with a flick of her tail leaps daintily over the glossy surface of the stream of drip water and pads away into the dark room after the erstwhile witch. Again, spirits' moving hands attract your wandering focus. Cat always has been a loyal familiar, 
and dog a true friend. Humans have never been the only sentience, were not even the first. Remember this. Spirit finally lets their hands drift to their sides, where they slip into panels of the wispy garment and nearly out of sight. The fabric against their skin makes a sound so soft it's almost drowned out by the crackling of the fire. Having apparently said all that was needed, Spirit turns away from its waves of heat, sweeping over to the cushions and furs in the lowered seating area, the ghostly material of their robes fanning out all around them as they begin to settle into it. You follow them there, but it is unnerving to see how the hem of their clothing seems to sink into its surroundings as though the cushions and throws were illusory objects. You wonder, then, whether it is the matter that makes up the garment that is immaterial, or whether it is revealing this characteristic in everything else that surrounds it. The Mobius strip of a thought leaves you dizzy. Spirit has made themselves comfortable by the time you have let the conundrum flutter off unanswered. You watch the entity that had not long ago been a fox touch their fingertips together in midair, and then draw them slowly apart as if stretching out something invisible. A liar lays upon the upturned palms of Spirit's hands, as if they had always been holding it, as if it had existed there all along. The conundrum that you had just let flutter away from you returns to your side soft but insistent. Is it matter that is warping the confines of its physics, or has time again gone rogue? If your heart were physical, it would beat just a little faster there under your would-be ribs, but you would still not have an answer. They cradle the instrument in their arms against the shimmering dark spill bunch of fabric over their thigh. Their pointed fingers press and pluck at the strings, tentative, reverent. And the sound, the sound, it's, you feel faint and With a crosswise thought, you begin to feel the shared vision as we do. Recall that you sought shelter by choice and simultaneity, where a single point in time would reveal itself as a gradient, an infinite hue. Do you remember the way you once felt the world in solids and liquids, instead of vibrations, and what it was to be a lone being whole and sweetly aloof? So, what did it take? to make you cry out in some permutation of today for trust, for mercy, for dignity. The key turns on that clue. What defiled the world by abusing you? What words skewered you? Whose hands pinned you? Who stole your breath, seized your time, those precious seconds that weave together the heart-wired will of your inviolable mind? Go then, to where there lives versions of you, still imbibing those many moments, in this the space of all-time synchrony. Take your soul by its phantom strings. Lift your every self from violence, from misery. Realize this temporal distance is only imaginary. See, there is a scream in you, us me, that would tear the cosmos apart, this the language of worlds, so we keep it in. But if a universe comes to contain the sound of its unmaking, should it not be shaken apart? Should it not be unfurled? What did it take to make you cry out in some permutation of today for liberation, for understanding, for compassion? The key turns on that clue. What warped the world by shaming you? Skip, skip, play, rewind. There now, 
child of earth, hold out your hands abundant with love, be good and accept your inheritance of socially mandated self-hatred while you are still young enough for it to take root. Now don't refuse the poison, ingest it and catalyze it into fuel beauty food. Become the node that breaks the signal pattern, the staircase that leads somewhere true. Plant these germinating thoughts to nourish your questioning with a new wilding of possibility. Do you remember the way you once experienced your life through empathy and curiosity, epiphany and symphony instead of tired, run-down rules? I know you do. So what did it take to make you cry out in some permutation of today? For transformation, for agency, for love, for equity. The key turns on this clue. What impoverished the world by stifling you? Soft, speak your truth. And in its telling, let us cradle a fraction of your wound. Go there, to where the pain is, to all those places, to each time you felt cruelly eyed, and be the saving grace you needed. Craft the safe harbor your spirit was long denied. Soft, paint the shape of your healing. Know that in so doing, you soothe the world too. And remember, fellow soul, remember this, if nothing else, power is never taken. It is only ever in wisdom held.